Hi guys, I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. Every Thursday, Goop editors will be sitting down with provocative thinkers, industry disruptors, and culture changers. I'll take turns interviewing barrier-breaking guests as we talk about shifting old paradigms and starting new conversations. Today's guest is a spiritual legend. Marianne Williamson has become one of the most resonant voices in the past three decades. She's the author of numerous New York Times bestsellers, including A Return to Love and Tears to Triumph. Her next book is called Politics of Love, a Handbook for a New American Revolution. Marianne is currently on the road hosting a series of inspirational talks and workshops. There is something in you that knows who to be at this time. There's something in me that knows who who to be at this time. What we have to resist is immature conversations. Our chief content officer, Elise Lunin, sat down with Marianne while she was in L.A. They talk about the fear and divisiveness that's too ubiquitous today and what the path toward greater connection might look like. So all of us have to remember right now that it is time to resist, but to resist nonviolently. And nonviolent resistance is not only nonviolence in terms of behavior, but in terms of the thoughts that we have and in terms of the emotional tenor of what communication we make. After the conversation, I'll be doing a quick round of Ask Me Anything. If you've got a burning or totally random question you want me to answer, hit us up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. Now let's get to Elise and Marianne Williamson. So Marianne, for those who don't know, what is A Course in Miracles? A Course in Miracles has been described as a self-study program of spiritual psychotherapy. It's not a religion, there's no dogma, there's no doctrine, but it's a psychological mind training based on universal spiritual themes. So it's a self-study program in the relinquishment of a thought system based on fear and the acceptance instead of a thought system based on love. And the whole idea here is that you experience your life through the filter of your thought system. And if your thought system is based on fear, then you are at the effect of all kinds of fearful consequences. And conversely, as you shift, uh, and that is how a miracle is described, as a shift in perception from fear to love, and you have a more loving mental filter, then you not only think from a more loving place, but you then create effects, the cause of which are those thoughts. So it's about moving from a life of chaos and anxiety and depression and all of the things that have become so rampant to a life where a state of inner peace and love and forgiveness uh, begins to prevail. I was looking at A Return to Love, which is your first book, which you published in 1992. And it's funny, I was reading the new introduction and I was like, oh my God, she must have reissued this this year. It was so relevant. It was from 1996. So it's amazing how these themes, which are are so um, profound now at this time in history when it feels like a tremendous battle of love versus fear, like how you've been in this now for a while like, what do you, what's the, is there a greater spiritual context to what's happening in the world? Until fairly recently in this country, in the West in general, but certainly in this country, we thought that we had reached a consensus in the post-World War II era, that there was a level of decency and general goodwill 
and brotherhood, whether on the left or the right, that there was a general consensus that there were lines past which we would not go. Mm -hmm. It's not that any thinking person thought we didn't have racism or homophobia or anti-Semitism or xenophobia or any of those things. It's not like we didn't think they were there. Any thinking person knew they were the underbelly of our country and every country because the, these things have not been routed out mm -hmm. of the consciousness of the human race. They will not be absent until we have evolved into a higher state of enlightenment. But we thought we had reached a consensus that there were levies on both left and right and that much like when you have, let's say, a herpes in your bloodstream, you know that you can't get rid of it, but your effort is to make it asymptomatic. We thought we had reached a point where those things would not and could not be given um, major political platforms or megaphones. Because in the West, we had seen with World War II, with the rise of the Nazis, the terrible evil collectively that is done when such things are given uh, major political platforms. What is happening now is it seems as though some levees have broken that nobody thought could break. What has happened is that some of the worst aspects of the human character, not just the American character, but the human character, have been harnessed for political purposes, hatred, bigotry, fear, and so forth. This has happened. In many ways, we let it happen. In many ways, I think a lot of people have to and are, by the way, looking very deeply at themselves. We took our democracy for granted. We took a lot of things for granted that maybe we shouldn't have taken for granted, mm -hmm. that mature people do not take for granted. You know, every relationship has to be tended to. You know, you can't just not tend to your marriage, not tend to your relationship with your kids, not tend to your friendships, and then not expect these things to be diminished in force, in power. And then you wake up later and go, whoa, 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 what happened? Well, what happened? Where, where were you? And that's where I think a lot of us are politically. This is a time when I think a lot of people are waking up and growing up. And so now we have on our hands something that is already, it's it beyond flashing red lights, that which we feared is already happening now. We're past warning into this is happening. Mm -hmm. And now our job is to harness the powers of love and goodness for political and social purposes. Where we are is that we have a pretty heightened conversation in our in our country around love. You your 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 own uh, corner mm -hmm. group and so forth are examples. However, our conversation about wellness and love and all of those things is still remaining within a personalized context. Mm -hmm. Your life. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a shadow to too much conversation about you. Mm -hmm. There's a shadow to too much conversation about me. We have to be now in a broader conversation about us. We have to be in a broader conversation about we. And I, the good news is how many people, I think, are waking up to this. And now we're scrambling to catch up. Yeah, we're scrambling for sure. It's, it is exhausting. Well, we don't have – forget – no, 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 no. We, we don't get to say things like, it's exhausting. Right. You know, these are the kinds of things we have to check ourselves for. We haven't even, this thing hasn't even started yet. So we, we can't, it's exhausting. It's exhausting is a nothing. We, we don't even know what exhausting is yet. So I think we have to check ourselves. This is not a time for prissy, and it's not a time for precious. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when Martin Luther King said, we must have tough minds and tender hearts. 
It's like when I hear all these people talk about how this time is very traumatizing. Well, excuse me, we don't have time for anybody to get over their trauma work before they show up for their country, not now. You think the people who were walking across the bridge in Selma were not traumatized? Mm -hmm. You think the suffragettes who were force-fed in prison were not in anxiety? So this business of, I'm traumatized, it's exhausting. I'm not saying you were coming from that place. You were just talking about the larger conversation. No, 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 no. This is, this, is, this is a time for strength. It is time for fierceness. It is time for maturity. It is time for wisdom. We'll all be better off because we reach to those places within ourselves. So how do you coach resilience? Like, how do you coach that idea of tender heart, fierce brain? What's your advice to everyone who's trying to stay in the fight? And, but it's scary and... You know, how do you how do you coach people to not retreat into a place of fear or anger? Or maybe anger is good. What is needed now is a very high level of personal maturity. And personal maturity is not emotionally self-indulgent. And anger is self-indulgent. And being too upset by the whole thing is self-indulgent. I don't think that any of us so much have to coach other people. I've never thought of myself as trying to get a message out. I'm trying to get a message in. The era of data collection is over. We need to mature past conversations that are just recycled conversations that, my God, we've had long enough now. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes in my own life, the person who helped me the most was a person who just looked at me kind of horrified and said, grow up who didn't explain anything to me at a certain point. Too many people who are, you know, they say that 30 is the age past which she's not young isn't an excuse anymore. (laughs) Too many people who are already at the age where being young is not an excuse anymore are looking to have things explained to them. Okay. We, you know, I think we all need to stop coddling in ourselves and in each other aspects of immaturity. Ask yourself what age your grandmother was or what age your grandfather was when they had to deal with World War II or when they had to deal with the Nazis or when they had to deal with uh, segregation in the American South or whatever. Our generation it's, it, it, it is, is experiencing the effects of a crisis of adulthood. Too many women have been acting like little girls and too many men have been acting like little boys. I think we need to stop coddling that in ourselves and in each other. So right now, it's not time to explain to a 35-year-old who's acting like a little girl to coach her in how to be more grown up. It's time for us to say to her, grow up. And it kind of shocks you into these places of strength, which you know are within you. You, you choose which chord to play. You choose which chord to play, and we need to stop coddling some of weaker aspects of ourselves. Of course it's scary. Of course it's scary. But like I said before, you think people after Pearl Harbor weren't scared? You you look at other times in history when profound forces of social darkness and oppression were coming at people. Well, the people that were coming at were scared, okay? But they didn't have time to just sit and talk about what am I supposed to do with my fear. They had to talk about what they were going to have to do to resist the darkness. Mm-hmm. So personal self-indulgence in places like anger is simply not strategic. 
you know, it's time for everybody to read, you know, you could read something like the Testament of Hope, that is the collected speeches and writings of Martin Luther King, or read Gandhi. Read about the principles of nonviolence, and know that, as Gandhi said, the end is inherent in the means. So you, you come to understand that everything we do is infused with the consciousness with which we do it. If we come across with personal anger, this will actually just be used against us. Look what's happening already when, when Sarah uh, Huckabee Sanders was in this restaurant, right, mm-hmm. and somebody asked her to leave. Well, th- they were not being violent towards her, but at the same time it was used against the very side that disagrees with her the next day, when then she was given um, uh, Secret Service protection as though she had been harmed or was under threat of harm. So all of us have to remember right now that it is time to resist, but to resist nonviolently. And nonviolent resistance is not only nonviolence in terms of behavior, but in terms of the thoughts that we have and in terms of the emotional tenor of what communication we make. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean you ignore the darkness. You know, there's nothing negative about yelling fire if, in fact, the house is burning down. And there's nothing holy about complacency. So there's nothing spiritual about pretending that this stuff is not going on. Mm -hmm. But it's finding that place within ourselves, like I said, the quality of our own personhood, which enables us, just like in any relationship, to both own your yes and own your no. A lot of us have been in conversations about boundaries and relationships for a long time. Zero tolerance for abuse. Um, So it's not, really what's happening in our collective experience is no different, just played out on a bigger stage, than what many of us have been involved in in our personal relationships for a long time. So what is, when you talk about sort of nonviolent protest and resistance, like what is the ideal manifestation of that? Like when that is at work and that is powerful, what does that look like? Well, for instance, when the uh, president's uh, administration instituted the policy of zero tolerance at the border, and then out of that came for the separation of families, they were not expecting the kind of public outcry that they got. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there was such a public outcry is what then made the government move into a stage where it is now, we're try, trying to scramble to change or that that's a whole other kettle of fish, what they don't even know how to fix because the system from the beginning was so so wrong-minded on every level. The point is the difference that it made that there was such a moral outcry. Mm-hmm. So this is certainly not a time to be silent. Mm-hmm. And everybody, if you have a, a Twitter account, if you have a Facebook, if you have Instagram, you have a platform. Yeah. And this is not a time for any of us to concern ourselves with ultimately unimportant things. And it's not a time for us to, in order to be liked, refuse to speak about things. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that this is particularly an issue for women. You know, we want to be liked. Also, I, I read a study that said for a woman to feel confident in expressing her opinion, she has to feel 80% sure of her facts. And for a man to be confident to share his opinion, he needs to feel 20% sure of his facts. So I think that, first of all, we have to have the courage of our own conviction. And second of all, we probably all need to educate ourselves a little more than we might have about what facts are, particularly in an age like this where propaganda is being so spewed 
and you you show up with what is essentially a moral position, and then people start throwing stuff at you that you don't even know how to counter because half the time there's it, there's so much falsehood involved. You have to know your facts, and you have to know the counter-argument, and you need to not just throw up your hands in exasperation. You have to be in there, you have to be in the conversation, and you have to refuse to be silent. Mm-hmm. In terms of those broken levees that you talked about at the beginning or this idea that, like, you know, genies have been let out of bottles. Do you think we are going to see a catastrophe on the level of world? Like, do you think that you said we're at the beginning, like it's, it's chaos, it's catastrophe and it's coming. Like, do you think we need to go all the way through this? Oh God, no, no, we must, no, I hope is a moral imperative. And I don't think even on our languaging, uh, we, we, we should indulge even casually such a such a possibility because a catastrophe at the at the time in which we're living domestically or internationally the word catastrophe denotes the possibility of suffering on on such a level that is almost immeasurable you know when you have a child do you have children yet yes i have two boys well then you know the fierceness of motherhood mm-hmm. you know that will not happen in this house mm-hmm. you know what that would be like if 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 certain possibilities were were presented and you would you, a fierceness would rise in you that will not be happening in this house because mm-hmm. mama said so and that's how we have to be about what you just said no we are a choice human beings have choice even everything that's happening now people chose who to vote for Mm-hmm. Or to not vote. Or not to vote. It was a choice. Mm-hmm. And now I think a lot of people are waking up to a far more mature perspective than maybe they had mm-hmm. uh, before the election. Uh, we had a perfect storm here. Mm-hmm. And I think now we have to build a wall. We have elections coming up mm-hmm. in November. So that right there is the most powerful way that we have at the moment of interrupting the -hmm. pattern. And so any of us who are not deeply involved, and I don't, you know, forget this idea of like little, little random acts of kindness. No, 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 no. Little acts of kindness will not do it right now. Mm -hmm. We need big acts of kindness. You know, a, a lot of times you hear people say, just do what you can. No, don't just do what you can. This is part of the prissiness. No, 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 no. Do a lot. Mm-hmm. Do a lot. <laughs> and what does that mean to you? Well, it means to every person. You know, it's not for me to tell other people the what. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? I think each of us have the voice for God, the voice of conscience, the voice of ethics. That's for each and every person to find for themselves through their own mindfulness, prayerfulness, meditation, deep reflection, but I do believe that there is a voice of, of goodness inside each and every one of us. And I think it's like cells in the body. Cells in the body are led through a kind of natural intelligence to collaborate with other cells to serve the healthy functioning of the organ and the organism of which they are part. And every once in a while something goes wrong and the cell disconnects from its natural intelligence. And instead of collaborating with other cells to serve the healthy functioning of the organ of which it's part, it goes off to do its own thing. That, of course, is called cancer. That's a malignancy. It's a malignancy in the body 
and it's a malignancy in consciousness, and it's exactly what's happened to the human race. We have been infected by a malignant consciousness, and that consciousness is the thought that it's all about me. It's just about me. We are awakening to the damage, to the destructiveness, to the dysfunction of that mentality, and now we're switching into cell as immune system. Mm -hmm. So at this point, each of us has to see ourselves as a cell in the immune system. And just like each of us is on an assignment, just like every cell, you, you're assigned to the pancreas, you, you're assigned to the lungs, you, you're assigned to the bones. Well, you, you're assigned to North America, you, you're assigned to Africa, you, you're assigned to Europe, you, you're assigned to gay, you, you're assigned to straight, you, you're assigned to woman, you, you're assigned to straight. These are assignments by which we are all capable of contributing to something larger than ourselves. Now the assignment in the immune system is for each and every one of us ask, how can I help today? The people who run Goop, how can Goop help? The people who run another organization, how can that organization help? We ask as projects, we ask as organizations, and we ask as individuals, how can I be useful? How can I serve? And in The Course in Miracles, there's a prayer every morning where we say, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? And the deeper you go into your receptivity, the more clearly the guidance will be given to you. When you, when you ask that question, mm-hmm. you'll hear the answer. The issue for most people is that either, number one, we're not yet asking the question, or number two, what I see a lot, is people who say, well, I don't know what God is telling me to do, when actually, yeah, you do. You just don't like what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. You, you, you think maybe the answer will change if you like give the forces of universal consciousness a few more days to think about it because it seems so odd. And I think that that's an, an, a, a very important point today because the answer to what's happening now will not come from the mortal mind alone. Mm. You know, an over-secularized conversation doesn't know how to deal with evil because it doesn't even acknowledge the existence of evil. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't know how to navigate through times when evil is in our midst. And so that's why those of us who have any kind of a spiritual consciousness have a very deep job to do, a very important job to do. You know, the Dalai Lama said, in order to save the world, we must have a plan, but no plan will work unless we meditate. Mm. So at this time, it's about meditation and prayer, mindfulness, all of those internal dimensions in order to prepare us to become the people who not only can hear what it is that we are being guided to do, but also have the capability of doing it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of that information is coming from the quantum field beyond mortal calculation or rational calculation. So if, if it exists within a larger spiritual construct or umbrella, like if we're being called to the mat in some way, like can you explain what that looks like? Well, in every individual's life, it looks different. You know, let's take the image of, let's say, World War II. So you had, you could go into the White House, you go into the map room, and you had Roosevelt and Eisenhower and Churchill, and they're looking over the map. And then they are sending out to all of the various generals and all the various theaters of war where to go and what to do. That is what happens when you do have a centralized intelligence. Mm -hmm. None of us are privy to the larger map. Mm -hmm. 
what we're privy to is the message that we get on any given day, in any given conversation, in any given situation, who we are to be and what we are to do. But we are to trust that there is that larger central intelligence on a spiritual level. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in The Course in Miracles, it says you can't know what part you could best play. You can't know where your talents or your abilities fit in, but you can trust that every situation is by divine assignment, and you can trust that your only job is to show up wherever you are to the best of your ability, be fully present, rise to the occasion of being the best that you can be, know that everybody else who is there is there on divine assignment, and you're being used together Mm -hmm. to create something bigger than any of you could do alone. Mm -hmm. And so in the construct of taking it back to A Course in Miracles, this idea of love versus fear, is it sort of living in that place of love? Like, is that what vanquishes fear? Absolutely. Love is to fear what light is to darkness. In the presence of light, darkness is vanquished. Mm -hmm. All that darkness ever was was the absence of of light. It's not even a thing of itself. Now, in terms of our country, if you are not... Well, let's go back, first of all, to the individual. If I'm not saying to the higher power of my understanding, the God of my understanding, use me. If I'm not living my life in service to something good, true, and beautiful, then the same mental energy that would have been used in the service of the good, true, and the beautiful will be used in the service of pathology and neurosis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, because the energy itself is going to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if you are not proactively serving the good, then that which is not good is going to take up the space. If you are not turning on the light, there will be dark. So if you are not cultivating brotherhood, justice, democracy then it's very naive, which is where we are now, of all of, it going, all of a sudden going, oh, I don't know where all these anti-democratic forces came from. We were asleep at the wheel. And for many of us, it's because we weren't taught. And that goes into a conversation about education and so forth. So now we realize that we were not proactively tending to the cultivation of democracy. Therefore, undemocratic forces came into the vacuum that was then created. And now, once again, think of the immune system. Mm -hmm. You don't don't just fight the disease, you boost the immune system. There is something in the body and in the psyche and in the universe which knows how to self-correct. The human race would not have survived if we didn't have an immune system. The psyche also has an immune system. We can take quite a large amount of disease assault and heartbreak and heal from it because of this immune functioning. And that's how the the whole civilization is. The universe is both self-correcting, the universe is both self-organizing and self-correcting. So something has begun right now. There is something in you that knows who to be at this time. There's something in me that knows who who to be at this time. What we have to resist is immature conversations. Mm -hmm. And we need to be around people who, who refuse to coddle yeah. This smallness, like this, I don't know what to do stuff. Because some deep part of you does know what to do. And when your prayer every morning is, dear God of my understanding, show me what it is, then unbelievable expansion will take place in your consciousness and in your behavior. And then because of other people who are in an, a similar heightening of the frequency of their consciousness, those are the people you'll meet, those are the people you'll co-create with, and we will lay it down. We had slavery in this country, but then we also had abolition. Mm 
We had suppression of women's rights. Women couldn't even vote. Women could not own property. But then we had waves of feminism and suffrage. Mm-hmm. We had institutionalized uh, white supremacy and segregation. But then we had civil rights movement. This is not the first time, even in our own country, that we have not seen the very values of democracy assaulted in the deepest way. Let's just not be the first generation to wimp out on doing what it takes to get this country back on track. Yeah. We'll have more of Elise's conversation with Marianne Williamson in a minute. In the meantime, let's talk about one of our partners. As you've probably heard, bone broth has been jettisoned into the mainstream as something we could all use more of in our modern diets. One of the companies that is responsible for this movement is Ancient Nutrition, Dr. Josh Axe's line of superfood supplements. Bone broth deserves the moniker of superfood because it's hard and labor-intensive to make and it's expensive to do it right. Ancient Nutrition makes it really accessible with their incredible bone broth protein, which is packed with collagen and other goodies, including hyaluronic acid, glucosamine, chondroitin, and even potassium. Like the other products in their line, the ingredient list is short. Bone broth protein concentrate sourced from natural chickens. The products are tested to be free of GMOs, hormones, and antibiotics, and they also make a version that's organic as well. Besides being great for general wellness, bone broth protein can help support joint mobility and flexibility, digestive health, and healthy skin, hair, and nails. Check out the store at ancientnutrition.com shop. Goop fans will get $10 off their first purchase using promo code Goop. Okay, let's get back to our chat with Marianne Williamson. So you ultimately, like, there's a version where we emerge from this at stronger and more resolute. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's like any crisis, whether it, the crisis, any of us have been through crisis as individuals, and I certainly have. You know, you, it's, it's like the cliche says, you're going to be better or you're going to be better. Mm-hmm. You're going to either sink from this or you're going to rise from this. You won't be the same person on the other side of this. If Americans are the same person, first of all, w- w- if, if we are the same people that we have been, we will not get through this crisis. Mm-hmm. If we change and become the people that we need to be in order to absorb this crisis, to take this hit, and to transform ourselves in this country, then we will be different on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. If we weren't, we would just go back, we would just morph into another symptom anyway. So this is a time of national crisis, which, which calls to us, just like times of individual crisis do, to dig very deep. My last book was called Tears to Triumph. And in that book, I'm talking about crisis and depression and anxiety and so forth on an individual level. But the same, the same issues are true on a collective level because all that a country is is a collection of people. Mm-hmm. So it's the same kind of psychological and emotional crises. What do I have to look at? What do I have to atone for? America has some... We have, I agree with Gandhi, who said that the, the, the liberation of the, of the Indian people would depend on a spiritual liberation. America has to address some very deep moral wounds. Mm-hmm. And I think that many Americans are ready to do that. Mm-hmm. And that is what we are going to have to do in mm-hmm. order to make it through this time. Yeah, it feels like a lot of what's happened has been the ripping off of a scab in a way that 
clearly was never healed. And I think, you know, everything you've been saying, complacency, feeling like other people are going to take care of things, lack of acknowledgement of privilege. Like, I'm certainly very guilty of that in my life. And this has been obviously a seismic wake-up call. Earlier this week, I saw LaDonna Brave Bull Allard speak, who was one of the people who, the Sioux Standing Rock, um, one of the elders who organized the camps. And she was incredibly powerful to hear from because she talked about as a child, it was in Boston, and she recounted that it was the last time she'd been in Massachusetts was when she was sent to boarding school in North Adams because she grew up at a time that we never acknowledge or talk about as a country where Native Americans were not allowed to raise their own children. And her parents were finally allowed to sort of get her and bring her back to North Dakota when she was in high school. And she was talking about, she had just gone to Texas with a group of women from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras to see the little girls. And they were singing. She was like, let's sing. We should sing to them and comfort them with songs from home and so all the women were singing and then she said that she sang them warrior songs because those girls would be warriors like her and I don't it was so powerful like when you think about the slingshot of history and sort of what this will do to the next generation as well you know you said a couple of minutes ago that we never talk about it Mm-hmm. Actually, we do talk about it. A lot of people who just kind of recently learned some major chapters of American history mm-hmm. are all upset saying, we never talk about this. No, you didn't talk about that. I'm not saying to you personally. This is not like news to anybody who actually knows American history. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that people have not been taught American history. People have not been taught civics. Only a certain number of states, not anywhere near the majority, even uh, require a civics education. Mm-hmm. So the fact that children were taken away from Native American people peoples and, and, and educated elsewhere and tried to live elsewhere as a, as a form of, of cultural genocide, obviously. Mm-hmm. Until the 80s. Yeah. Is, is actually not uh, total news. Right. It's news to a, a large portion of the population. But I think it's important that that information be, be integrated into an understanding, as I said before, that the narrative of American history is that over time we do tend to Mm self-correct. And I think a lot of people need that memory because right now all they want to talk about is America's shadows, the terrible things that America has done. America has done terrible things. We had slaves, genocide towards Native Americans, etc. It's not that we don't need to identify these shadows. However, we need to identify with those who have, have solved those problems in the past. And I, I fear that there's so many people in America today who only want to talk about what we've done right. But then there are some people who only want to talk about what we've done wrong. Mm-hmm. And both are, are, are inaccurate descriptions of who we are. Mm-hmm. You cannot point to any one aspect of a person's character and say this is who they are. And you cannot point to any one particular point in a nation's history and say this is what the nation is. Mm-hmm. It is many things. Mm-hmm. And you can point to some terrible things that this country has done, and you can point to some wonderful things mm-hmm. that this country has done. I'm not saying let's ignore the darkness, 
but we need to be firmly rooted in the light in order to absorb that darkness. And how are you going to be rooted in the light unless you also recognize what that light is? The light is our first principles, that all men are created equal. That is why genocide is not okay. That is why slavery is not okay. That is why economic and criminal justice is not okay. It's when you are firmly rooted in an understanding of what these principles are that have been bequeathed to us, which it is our responsibility in every generation to foster, to maintain, in order to bequeath to our children. Otherwise, what you're doing is just blaming other people who got it wrong without realizing we get it wrong if we are not proactively doing our part in our time to make sure that democracy as it should be is fostered and proactively mm-hmm. expanded. All right, I want to try something out on you. So one one word that really that you just you were talking about civics, which I feel like is a underused word in the culture because I think one of the things that I've observed, not the only one who's observed this, but that there are these issues, these these levies, right? That regardless of political party, we all thought we could agree on, right? And and so when you think about civics, you think about issues, you think about human rights the fact that all men are created equal how do we how do we rally people around like how dark does it have to get before we're all on the same side well the problem and I, i'll go back to what i was saying before about american education if children are not taught civics this is one of the worst things that has happened if people are not taught what the bill of rights is and there are there are quite a few you know the bill of rights is is 10 the first 10 amendments the second amendment is not the only one in there <laughs> so if you're not if you're not taught the bill of rights as a child you don't know as an adult to be horrified when they're being assaulted what i'd like to see is more book clubs, you know, somebody, I was reading some article in the paper about uh, some school where they had a civics club, and the person who was leading the civics club was so surprised by how many people showed up. We need to all be joining in, like, in neighborhood groups and with our friends. Let's all get together, and let's get some history professor who will guide us through the Declaration of Independence, who will guide us through the Constitution, will guide us through what those amendments are. Too many of us kind of just kind of have a general sense that America has a covenant with history, but don't know the specific principles, the first principles. I wrote a book called Healing the Soul of America, and the 20th anniversary edition is coming out in July because it was been revised and updated. But in that book, I just went through the what are the first principles? All men are created equal. All of us endowed by God with inalienable rights of life and liberty in the pursuit of happiness. That it is the role of the government to broker protection of individual liberty and a concern for the common good. That we would have religious freedom here. Mm -hmm. That a person could believe in many gods or no gods. That we have evil pluribus unum, out of many we are one. It's these first principles that that represent the repudiation of an aristocratic system. An aristocratic system was one in which it, the socially accepted model was that a few people, the upper classes, the aristocracy, the monarchy and the aristocracy, were deemed entitled to ownership, ownership of land, Uh, ownership of wealth, the opportunity of wealth creation, education, all of the material means of self-actualization, and they had the right to expect that those things would be handed down to their children. No one else had those rights. With the founding of this country, we repudiated that paradigm. 
with the very idea that, no, all men are created equal. All men are endowed. So what has happened now is that we have subconsciously reverted to an aristocratic system. Now, some people would say, yeah, but the, the founders, they themselves, 41 signers of the Declaration of Independence, own slaves. That is true. But that dichotomy, once again, a knowledge of American history, makes you see that in a much more expanded way. We have always been that dichotomy. That dichotomy is built into our DNA. We have been, we are founded on the most enlightened principles, and we ourselves, from the beginning, have been the most heinous transgressors against them. And that struggle is built into our historical narrative. In every generation, there have been those whose hearts were ablaze with the possibilities inherent in a society where all people have equal access to the opportunities to to soar, to self-actualize. It's a moral and a spiritual issue, not just a political one. Mm-hmm. And then there have been those in every generation whose basic attitude was, let's not. But it's when you see the, the struggle for what it is, that this is nothing new, but that we have never been a country that went all one direction or the other. That's the thing. Some people act like we never had the blind spots, but some people also act like we never had the, had the light. And I think that that shows a dishonor to our ancestors. And we need to have an understanding of what it meant to be an abolitionist, what it meant to be a suffragette, what it meant to be a civil rights worker, to know that that is our legacy. You know, I read a book by a woman named Sue Monk Kidd. She wrote mm-hmm. A Secret Life of Bees. And one of her best books, she's written great books, and one of them is called The Invention of Wings. And The Invention of Wings is a book about the Grimke sisters. The Grimke sisters were actual historical characters who were born into a slave-owning family in Charleston, South Carolina. And they became, after having been converted by the Quakers, and abolition emerged from the Quakers. It was a religious and spiritual impulse, just as Dr. King was a Baptist preacher. That's a whole other issue of how the spiritual and religious basis of the great social justice movements. But the Grimke sisters not only awakened to the evils of slavery, they went further than anti-slavery. They went full-on abolitionist. And what that book made me think about was the difference between being anti-slavery and being an abolitionist. Mm -hmm. To be anti-slavery meant, I don't believe in slavery, I would never own another human being, I would never live in a slave state, I think they're crazy. That of itself did not move the needle for one slave. But there's a an emotional and psychological and moral and spiritual bridge you cross from I'm against it to not on my watch. Mm -hmm. And that's the fierceness and the wisdom and the maturity that I was talking about, not on my watch. And we don't have time to talk about, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? You know what it means. It means not on my watch. So marching, writing letters, making calls, donating money, showing up. What do you want people to do? All of the above, plus voting. Passionately, fiercely, wisely, and kindly. Thanks so much for joining our conversation with Marianne Williamson today. I feel really hopeful about the future Marianne painted. You can learn more about Marianne's work at marianne.com, and you can pre-order her newest book, A Politics of Love, which comes out in January 2019. I can't wait to read it. Now, it's Ask Me Anything time. Hiroko is asking, do I forgive and forget? That's a really good question. 
I definitely forgive, but to be honest, sometimes it takes me a really long time. (laughs) And I have, there are instances where I forget and there are instances where I can't forget, but that doesn't mean I hold on to resentment or anger. But sometimes, you know, the old adage, when somebody shows you who they are, believe them, it's good to keep in mind. And if someone has done something that, requires forgiveness in certain cases it's good just to just to believe them just keep it in the back of your mind have a question drop us a line at goop on instagram or facebook that's it for this week's episode of the goop podcast thanks for tuning in if you liked what you heard please rate review and share with your friends To keep up with new episodes, just hit subscribe. And for more info, head over to goop.com slash the podcast. See you next week.